بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So we are continuing Bi'ithnillahi ta'ala In the Third module And the first subject of that module In which we have been Studying Sahih Al-Imam Muslim And the first two weeks I handed over the mic To Sheikh Rahman Hassan who has kindly gone through the life of Al-Imam Muslim Rahimahullah Ta'ala and he also went through an introduction to his book the purpose behind this particular subject in the essentials is for you to become comfortable with Sahih Muslim and why is it that we want you or why is it that we chose Sahih Muslim over other books why did we not for example say that we're going to study Sahih al-Bukhari or Sunan Abi Dawood or Jami' Al-Imam Al-Tirmidhi For example Why is it that we said That we're going to study Sahih Muslim Some of you I mean we covered some of that last week But I just want to sort of highlight a few points I believe And I think this is One of the, the statements That is fairly well accepted Among the scholars Is that Sahih Muslim is the most approachable book of the Qutb al-Sitta and the easiest one to work with. And we're going to see in this particular class today why exactly that is. And why is it that Sahih Muslim is so easy to work with and so approachable? And we're also going to try to understand why it is that the scholars rely on the wording of Sahih Muslim over the wording of, for example, Sahih al-Bukhari. Despite the fact that Sahih al-Bukhari is more authentic, why is it that the scholars generally, if they're going to quote a hadith, they quote it from? Sahih Muslim If it is present in In Sahih Muslim These are just some points we're going to highlight today And then what I want to do Is just to look at How Al-Imam Muslim ordered his book How the, the hadith were placed in order And also talk a little bit about authenticity And just kind of work through some of the issues And inshallah work up to reading some of the ahadith because the first time maybe you read it, there are some issues that you need to be aware of or some, some, uh, 
sort of particular things that are quite unique to uh, to books of hadith that maybe you haven't experienced before particularly if you reference the Arabic work because in English what we tend to have is we tend to have first of all that the uh, the isnad the chain of narration is rarely uh, translated very often the different wordings of the hadith are missed out in the English translation uh, again the English translations not all of them but generally they tend to be summarized they, they have deleted various hadith and various parts of the book so perhaps the first time that you you know you go to the 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 arabic to quote the hadith you may find some things in there that you're not used to and then inshallah ta'ala if we finish all of that this week with the help of allah azza wa jal then perhaps next week we can read some of the different chapters just to get an idea of how like a practical example of how to work with how to work with the book I'm not an expert on books in English. However, the best of my knowledge, the only complete translation of Sahih Muslim is the one that is published by Dar salam to the best of my knowledge. Uh, however, you can also find on sunnah.com a fairly any accurate reproduction of that. Uh, for those of you who just want to kind of you, you have it on your phone or something And you, you, know, you want to kind of refer to it And we'll talk a little bit about the issues of numbering as well And how Sahih Muslim was numbered And what is the most reliable way Of quoting a hadith number From Sahih Muslim If someone says to you Hadith number 2603 How do you go about finding that? And is there a difference between the English reference and between the Arabic reference and where does the Arabic reference come from? So we're just going to try and cover a few of those points inshallah ta'ala today. There will be a little bit of repetition as usually happens when you change a teacher from one teacher to another one. So probably there are some things that I've written that Ustad Abdurrahman also shared with you but inshallah ta'ala we'll try and keep that to a minimum. So we're studying this book Al-Musnad Al-Sahih المتصل والمسند الصحيح المختصر sorry المسند الصحيح المختصر three words that we studied last in the last couple of weeks we just want to remind ourselves that we're dealing with a book that is مسند and here the meaning of مسند is not the the very specific meaning to the scholars of hadith but the word musnad here is the more general meaning of a hadith that is mentioned with isnad. And I understand why books when they are translated into English often the isnad is missed out. Uh, perhaps the people feel that it's not of as much benefit for people reading in English. Or they feel that it would have taken them too long. Or it would have made their books too thick. But really without the isnad you really do without the chain of narration you really do lose an immense amount of the hadith and you lose an incredibly important resource 
and you lose a part of the book that Imam Muslim intended for you to have. Noting that in his introduction, Imam Muslim mentions the benefit of this, uh, yani this summary of Sahih Hadith in one book for the ordinary person. So he's conscious that the ordinary person, the ordinary Muslim is going to benefit from this book. He's conscious. Yani when he summarized the book, he's aware that this book, the ordinary Muslim is going to be benefiting from it as well as the student of knowledge. And he goes in his muqaddimah, which we don't have time to go through in detail, but in his introduction, and you can go through it, even it's, it's present also on sunnah.com if you wanted to just flick through, that he talks about the fact that the specialist is the one that benefits from you know, all of these different chains of narration and some are weak and some are strong because the specialist is, is using the different chains to strengthen each other and is being aware of the different uh, uh, faults and flaws within that hadith. But the general person, the general person is, benefits more from having the Sahih Hadith in one place, summarized for them in one, in one simple book. It's of more benefit to the ordinary, to the ordinary person, as well as benefiting the, the student of Hadith as well. So coming back to this topic of it being Musnad, Al-Imam Muslim intended, you know, the first word in the title. He intended for these asaneed, for these chains of narration to be transmitted along with the book. And one of the things that you can always do, um, and one of the things I always do say is, if you do want to go back to the chain of narration, it's one of those things that even if you don't understand Arabic, you can still pretty much read it in Arabic anyway. Because it is just a collection of names with a few simple joining words like Haddathana or Akhbarana or An or Qala. There's only a handful of words that are joined and then the names of the people. So it is accessible. It's not like you can't go back to the Arabic and actually go through the chain of narration uh, which we will do as well uh, inshallah ta'ala in the next couple of weeks. And he said, Al-Musnad al-Sahih. So Al-Imam Muslim chose the ahadith which are authentic. But there are two questions that raise themselves here. Did he choose every authentic hadith? Or did he at least choose to narrate from every authentic narrator? So did he choose every authentic hadith? And did he choose every authentic narrator? That's two different questions. And the answer to both of those questions is no. And this is something that people must be very clear about. Sahih Muslim does not represent all of the authentic hadith. Neither does Sahih al-Bukhari represent all of the authentic hadith. There are 
many, many, many more authentic hadith found in other books within the Kutub al-Sitta, within the six books of hadith, and outside of the Kutub al-Sitta as well. But the benefit of Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim is that you can be confident that when you open the book, the hadith you're looking at in a general sense is authentic. Now I will use that word in a general sense and we're going to come back to that because that is a big issue. Are there weak hadith in Sahih Muslim? But for now we're just going to use that sort of general terminology and say in a general sense you can open Sahih al-Bukhari and Muslim and be confident that every hadith you read is authentic. However, Al-Imam Muslim did not intend to collect every authentic hadith. Neither did Al-Imam al-Bukhari. Neither did either of them intend to narrate from every authentic narrator. And we'll give sort of some, uh, uh, some evidences. In, uh, in Musnad al-Imam Ahmed, there is a collection of a hadith. All of them with the same isnad. The same chain of narration. And they are 140 hadith. So bear with me. In Musnad al-Imam Ahmad. Which is outside of the Kutub al-Sitta. Because the Kutub al-Sitta are Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. And Jami' al-Imam al-Tirmidhi. And then Sunan al-Nasai. And Sunan Abi Dawood. And Sunan Ibn Sunan Ibn Majah. In Musnad al-Imam Ahmad, there is a sahifa, there is a collection of ahadith. And a written collection of ahadith. That number 140 hadith. All of them have the same chain. From Muhammad ibn Rafi' who narrates from Abdul Razak, from Ma'mar, from Hammam, from Abi Hurairah. This is the chain of narration. In Musnad Imam Ahmad. And Imam Ahmad narrates from Muhammad ibn Rafi', from Abdul Razak, from Ma'mar, from Hammam, from Abu Hurairah. And there are 140 ahadith. Al Imam Muslim chose only some of those hadith. To put in his Sahih. But all of those hadith are narrated from the same place, the same Sahifah, the same collection of hadith with the same chain and the same level of authenticity. What is the benefit that we take from this? 
that an Imam Muslim did not choose every hadith that is Sahih. Because if he did, he would have taken the entire Sahifa of Hammam ibn Munabbih. He would have taken the whole collection of Hammam ibn Munabbih with this chain of narration. Because they're all authentic, they're all narrated from the same chain, and they're all collected in one place. But instead, Al-Imam Muslim picked certain ahadith that he wanted from there, and he left others. Despite the fact there is no difference in authenticity between them. Because they all narrated from exactly the same chain, and they were narrated as a block. So Al-Imam Ahmad narrates the chain, and then all of the ahadith together in one big block. And Al-Imam Muslim only chose a handful or a set or a number of those ahadith. So that is one evidence that Al-Imam Muslim did not collect all of the Sahih ahadith and did not intend to. Because if he intended to, at least he would have copied the whole Sahifa, the whole collection from that particular place. But instead you see him kind of flicking over pages and missing a page, missing a bit, adding a bit, missing a bit. And that tells us that he didn't intend to collect all of the authentic ahadith. Nor did he intend to narrate from every single narrator who is authentic. Someone might say, okay, but at least he took one narration from Hammam. So that's Hammam, and you can tick. Hammam ibn Munab, you can say. Tick. He took one from him. At least he took one from Muhammad ibn Rafi'. Tick. At least he took one from Abd al-Razzaq al-Sanani. Tick. At least he took one from Ma'mar ibn Rashid. Tick. But actually we find narrators in Sahih al-Bukhari that al-Imam Muslim didn't take from. So for example we find Al-Humaydi Abdullah Ibn Zubair Al-Makki Abdullah Ibn Zubair Al-Makki The famous narrator of Innama Al-A'malu Binniyat And he's the first Shaykh of Imam Al-Bukhari We find that Al-Imam Muslim didn't narrate a hadith from him. And we find narrators that are at the highest level of authenticity that neither Al-Bukhari nor Muslim narrated from. Like Abu Ubaid, Al-Qasim, Ibn Salam. Like Abu Ubaid, Al-Qasim, Ibn Salam. Muslim narrated some, uh, read some meanings from him, some meanings of words. Because he was a he was a scholar of fiqh, he was a scholar of language, he was a scholar of hadith. But Al Bukhari and Muslim didn't narrate a hadith from him in the main part of their book. They didn't narrate a hadith from him in the main part of their book. So from this we understand that Al-Imam al-Bukhari and Muslim 
did not intend to narrate every single authentic hadith nor did they intend to narrate from every single reliable narrator however when we talk about this topic of and I mean that also we can add to that 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 can be taken from the, 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 the title sometimes given to Sahih Muslim Al-Musnad Al-Sahih Al-Mukhtasar Al-Mukhtasar Al-Musnad Al-Sahih Al-Mukhtasar The shortened, summarized, authentic hadith And he chose some of them and left others And while we're talking about authenticity It's useful To talk about the levels of authenticity of hadith In terms of al-sahih Now here we're not talking about Al-Hasan We're not talking about the authentic hadith That are a little bit lower in uh, and a little bit lower in standard but the, the highest standard of authenticity can be broken down into seven levels so when we say this hadith is authentic and in English unfortunately we're not very precise because we, we don't often distinguish between sahih and hasan we normally just intend to say authentic but when a hadith is authentic Within that authenticity There are levels The highest of which Are those that are Agreed upon by Al-Bukhari and Muslim And generally this Istilah muttafaqun alayh Agreed upon Generally, with one major exception Generally, the word agreed upon in a book of hadith Means that, or in reference to a hadith Means that it was narrated by both Al-Bukhari and Muslim When we say agreed upon It was narrated by Al-Bukhari and Muslim there is one exception to that There is one exception to that And that is Al-Majd Ibn Taymiyyah That's not Ibn Taymiyyah Ibn Taymiyyah But the uh, grandfather Al-Majd Ibn Taymiyyah when he says agreed upon He means Al-Bukhari and Muslim and Ahmed When he says agreed upon He means Al-Bukhari and Muslim and Ahmed And when he wants to say Al-Bukhari and Muslim He says Akhrajahu they both, they both brought it out They both recorded it So when he wants to say Bukhari and Muslim He says they both recorded it 
And when he says Mutafaqun alayh, he means Al-Bukhari and Muslim and Ahmed. But generally, the, the famous uh, sort of terminology is that when you say agreed upon, you mean the hadith that is narrated by Al-Bukhari and Muslim. Now there's a question. When we say narrated by Al-Bukhari and Muslim, do we mean that it has the same chain of narration or the same wording or something else? It's not a condition when we say that a hadith is agreed upon. It's not a condition for that hadith to have the same chain of narration. Nor is it a condition for the hadith to have the same wording. It's enough for the hadith to be narrated by the same companion with the same general meaning for it to be agreed upon. For a hadith to be muttafaqun alayh, to be agreed upon, it is enough for it to be narrated from the same companion with the same general you know, the same general meaning. It's not a condition that the wording should be identical, nor is it a condition that the chain of narration should be the same. But the scholars of hadith, they classify a hadith to be different when it comes from a different companion. So if you have a hadith with the same words, but it was narrated by both Abu Hurairah and Abdullah ibn Umar. The scholars of hadith would classify that as two separate hadith. One from Abu Hurairah and one from Abdullah ibn Umar. Radiallahu anhum. So if you have a hadith that is in Sahih al-Bukhari about a certain topic and it comes from the same Sahabi as a hadith in Sahih Muslim on the same, with the same, you know, sort of general meaning, then this hadith is classified as muttafaqun alayh, agreed upon. And that is the highest standard of authenticity. Muttafaqa alayhi shaykhan, that which the two shaykhs agree upon, meaning al-Bukhari and Muslim. What is the next level down? The next level down is the hadith which is narrated in Sahih al-Bukhari alone. In Sahih al-Bukhari but not Sahih Muslim. And it's narrated by Sahih, it's narrated in Sahih al-Bukhari but it's not found in Sahih Muslim. Because the condition of Imam al-Bukhari when or the conditions that he placed were of a stricter nature than the conditions that Imam Muslim placed. Therefore, in terms of authenticity, Al-Bukhari is more authentic. Both are authentic, but Al-Bukhari is more authentic. Asah. And Al-Imam Muslim, his kitab is sahih, it's authentic. And Al-Bukhari, his kitab is sahih, it's authentic. But Al-Bukhari is asah. It's more authentic. Because the conditions that he placed were of a stricter nature than Al-Imam Muslim. The third level of authenticity is that which Al-Imam Muslim narrated alone and it was not narrated by Al-Imam Al-Bukhari. 
And these three levels, the Mutafaqun Ali agreed upon, and that which Al Bukhari narrated alone, and that which Muslim narrated alone. By the way, when I say alone, I don't mean that it wasn't in Muslim Imam Ahmad and it wasn't. I mean Bukhari narrated it and Muslim didn't, and then Muslim narrated it and Bukhari didn't. Those three categories are the only three that are found in Sahih al Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. The remaining four out of the seven are not found in the actual books Bukhari and Muslim. The fourth one, and this is the fourth one down, that which is, or that which is in accordance with the conditions of al Bukhari and Muslim but they didn't record it in their books. So we find it fulfills the conditions. The chains of narration are the same, you know, the same chains, the conditions that they put are present in that hadith, but neither of them narrated it. However, it matches the condition of Al-Mutafaq Ali. And it matches the the, the same sort of chain of narration or the same conditions that they put down it matches their conditions of both Bukhari and Muslim together it matches both of them but they didn't record it in their book and this is what when people usually say ala sharqihima it is upon the two, it is upon their, both of their conditions. Or it is according to both of their conditions. Any Al Bukhari or Muslim. Level number five, that which is according to the conditions of Al Imam al Bukhari, but it doesn't match the condition of Al Imam Muslim. In other words, it's a hadith that would have been found in Bukhari on its own, but it wouldn't have been found on. In Sahih In Sahih Muslim And neither of them recorded it And then what is On the shart of Imam Muslim And that which is in accordance with the hadith of Or the conditions of Imam Muslim But not in accordance with the conditions of Imam al-Bukhari And still no, neither of them recorded it And then the seventh and final one is that which is not in accordance with the conditions of Al-Imam Muslim nor Al-Imam Al-Bukhari neither was it recorded by either of them and it's not, it's not in Bukhari, it's not in Muslim it doesn't match the conditions of Bukhari it doesn't match the conditions of Muslim but it's still authentic and that is a large category of ahadith The next point that I wanted to mention is just to highlight again and emphasize what has been said to you I think numerous times with regard to the accuracy and the precision with which Al-Imam Muslim narrated his Sahih. Al-Imam Muslim is better than Al-Imam Al-Bukhari in this. Al-Imam al-Bukhari wrote his book while he was on his travels. Sometimes he narrates by meaning. 
Sometimes he doesn't narrate the exact words. Sometimes he, you know, as, as, uh, as we know, Imam al-Bukhari intended his book to be a book of narration and a book of fiqh. Like we say, riwaya wa diraya. A book of narration and a book also of, of knowledge in terms of fiqh knowledge. So Imam al-Bukhari cuts up a hadith, he puts one hadith here, the next hadith here. Some ahadith in Sahih al-Bukhari are mentioned 20 times throughout the book. Right? 20 times throughout the book, a bit of the hadith here, a bit of the hadith here, a bit of the hadith here. You may not even get the full hadith anywhere. Because Imam al-Bukhari, his intention is the narration and the fiqh. He wants to take part and you know, highlight individual areas of the hadith for you. And he wrote it while he was on his travels and he wrote it from memory. And he wrote it from... And he, sometimes he would travel many, many, many miles before he wrote down the hadith that he memorized. As for Al-Imam Muslim, he wrote the book while he was at home. He had his copies around him. He had his different, you know, his references. And his intention here is for the book to be a book of riwayah, a book of narrations. Not necessarily to extract fiqh from here and here and here. So one of the things that he did for you is he gathered the hadith on a single topic in a single place, generally. It's very, very rare that an Imam Muslim splits a hadith on the same topic unless there's a really important reason for it. Generally, most of the time, he gathers all of the hadith on the same topic in a single place. And you heard last time from Sheikh Abdul Rahman that Imam Muslim didn't put a, a set, he didn't put chapter titles in his book. He didn't put chapter titles. However, the scholars say Sahih Muslim is as though he put chapter titles. What do they mean by when they say it's as though he put chapter titles? Because he gathered the hadith in one very specific place, it's, a, you know, it's almost like you can see clearly where the chapters are. Even if there were no chapter titles, you could clearly see where the chapters are. Because for you, it's easy to see when a hadith, the topic finishes and another topic starts. It's not like he drew a line and said, you know, here another topic starts. He just wrote the hadith one after the other after the other. But he gathered all of the hadith on a single topic in a single place. And all of the wordings of that hadith in a single place. Bear in mind, he doesn't bring all of the wordings of the hadith, that's important. There are other wordings found in other books. But he gathers all of the ones that he wanted to mention, he puts them in one place. Now it's not a hard and fast rule, it doesn't mean that that's the case, you know, 100% of the time. But generally, the overwhelming majority of the time, you find all of the hadith in Sahih Muslim on a single topic in a single place. Just in one place. 
So it is as though Al Imam Muslim put chapter titles. It's as though he put chapter titles. Now it's interesting now, or it's worthwhile uh, to talk about the division or the order of the book. In some of the manuscripts of Sahih Muslim, there are no, uh, there are no, uh, what do you call them? Like where we say kitab, like I, the problem in English is we call everything a chapter. Uh, but if we use, you know, sort of the chapter titles as being the subheadings, you know, the sub the sub chapters, the kind of division of the of the book into the book of purification, the book of Hajj, the book of fasting, this is present in some of the manuscripts of Sahih Muslim and absent in some of the manuscripts. And in some of the manuscripts of Sahih Muslim don't even divide it into sections they don't even divide it into the book of hajj and the book of fasting it's just hadith 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 but some of them divide it into that some of them divide it into the book of hajj the book of fasting and so on with regard to these books obviously al-imam muslim begins with his introduction and his introduction is separate from his book that's important to note uh, when we come to the numbering of Al-Imam Muslim, uh, the numbering generally which is, is uh, commonly accepted is the numbering of uh, Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi. This is important because this numbering is the numbering which is Mu'atamad. It is the one that is relied upon. Because every print can make their own numbering. But it is the numbering of Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi, which is considered to be the standard for the numbering of Sahih Muslim. We're going to come to the numbering of Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi in a moment. But he did something that he is widely criticized for. He included the introduction of Al Imam Muslim in the numbering. Now the introduction of Al-Imam Muslim contains seven hadith. And it contains 92, 92 narrations. Of those 92, seven are hadith. And the rest are athar. They're just narrations from the salaf. For example, Abdullah ibn al-Mubarak said this. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib said this. So they're not hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi included them in the numbering of hadith. But even still, his numbering is still considered to be the standard. We're going to come to it in a moment. So the introduction, strictly speaking, should not really be considered as being from Sahih Muslim. 
except for those seven ahadith that he brings in the introduction. So in theory, really, it should be that the hadith that starts the book in Kitabul Iman, the book of faith, it should really be hadith number eight. Or hadith number one. Either hadith number one or hadith number eight. But it definitely shouldn't be hadith number 93. As it is with the narration of, or as it is with the numbering of Muhammad for Ad Abdul Baqi. Back to the topic of the, the chapter sections, you know, the big, the big titles. Al Imam Muslim, his book is a jami'. It's a jami', which means it is a comprehensive book of hadith. It is not a book of fiqh only. It is not, I'll put that again, it is not only a book of fiqh. And the six books of hadith can be split in half. Half of them are jawami', they are comprehensive, and half of them relate only to fiqh. As for the ones that are comprehensive, they are Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim and Jami' al-Tirmidhi. And that's why it's correct to call the book of al-Tirmidhi Jami' al-Tirmidhi and not Sunan al-Tirmidhi. And it's only called Sunan al-Tirmidhi because it goes with the other three Sunan. But otherwise it's not a Sunan. Because a book of hadith which is termed a sunan is restricted to the ahadith of al-ahkam, the hadith of the halal and the haram. Why is it important for us to know that this book is a jami', is a comprehensive book? Because we know that we're going to find ahadith which are not only on the topic of fiqh. We're going to find a hadith on the topic of aqeedah. We're going to find a hadith on the topic of tafsir. We're going to find a hadith on the topic of seerah. We're going to find a hadith on the topic of dream interpretation. We're going to find a hadith on the topic of fadail, the virtues of the sahaba. We're going to find a hadith, a hadith on the topic of fadail al-a'mal, the virtues of doing good deeds. We're not only going to find a hadith on the topic of halal and haram. And this is wajib and this is haram and this is dislike. As for Sunan, Abi Dawood and Nasai and Ibn Majah, that's what you're going to find in there. They are books of ahkam, they are books of halal and haram. It's very rare you're going to find a great deal of discussion about anything other. You may find it mentioned occasionally, but generally the purpose of the book is a book of fiqh, a book of fiqh in the, in the narrow sense of the term, the halal and the haram, the ahkam of the sharia. As for al-imam Muslim, you're going to find in there all of the topics. No topic is out of bounds. All of the topics of hadith are going to be found in there. And this is useful for you, again, as a student, because Al-Imam Muslim's book is comprehensive. So you can find every kind of topic in there. He begins with Kitabul Iman, after his introduction. And his introduction is split into, into parts. He begins with Kitabul Iman. 
the book of faith. Notice that he is giving preference to matters of aqidah before he begins with matters of uh, of ahkam of what we term fiqh he begins with aqidah kitab al-iman the book of faith And in it, he mentions a little bit over 200 hadith without repetition. I mean, without counting the repeated hadith. A little bit over 200 hadith. He then goes into the normal order of the books of fiqh. Okay? So this is helping you to kind of find your hadith. Because you don't, you know, sometimes I know we're used to the, the, the world of Google. And like, well, if I wanted to find a hadith in Muslim, I would just type it in Google and see what came up. But I want you to be familiar with the book as a book itself. So if you were looking for a hadith on the topic of, let's say, for example, Hajj, where are you going to find it? First of all, Al-Imam Muslim puts everything in one place, generally. So you would expect to find it in Kitab al-Hajj, the book of Hajj. And where am I going to find the book of Hajj? Okay, so we need to understand the way that Imam Muslim ordered his book. He begins with Kitab al-Iman as, a, as if you like an introduction because of the importance of aqidah, the importance of having the correct belief. He brings Kitab al-Iman before everything else. Because your fiqhi actions, your ahkam, you know, your wudu and your salah will not be accepted unless your aqidah is correct. He then goes into the standard order of the books of fiqh, which is to begin with al-ibadat and follow with al-mu'amalat, to begin with worship, acts of worship, and then to deal with, to do dealings, transactions. And within the acts of worship, generally, the standard order is to follow the pillars of uh, Islam. And in order, so to follow salah, followed by zakah, followed by fasting, followed by hajj. And in between them, to put anything that is needed, either prior to them or, you know, things that are mentioned after them. So he begins with the book of purification. Why the book of purification? Because you can't pray unless you purify yourself. Then the book of menses. Because the matters of menses are something which are specific to the women But they are related to purification And, re- and again, they are a mani' You know, menstruation is a mani' It is an impediment to prayer She cannot pray while she is on her menses Therefore the menses are an impediment to prayer And you need to mention it before prayer Because if you teach people how to pray And then as an afternoon say Oh by the way, you can't pray during this time So he brings that beforehand he then brings the book of As-Salah, the book of prayer. He then brings a number of books that relate to the prayer. The book of the Masajid and the places of prayer. The book of travelers, 
the book of the Friday prayer, the Eid prayer, the rain prayer, the eclipse prayer, and the funeral prayer. So again, you get the idea that you're going to have it's very well ordered. It's not like he talks about the prayer and the hajj and, the, and so on, and then he talks about the funeral prayer. The funeral prayer is found within the set or the collection of books that deal with the, the prayer itself. He then goes on to the zakah. He then goes on to the zakah. And then fasting. And then al-i'tikaf Because the common uh, time for al-i'tikaf is in Ramadan Even though it's not a condition And then he concludes His section on worship With the Hajj Kitab al-Hajj By this time he's reached in the region of 1,400 hadith without repetition and you're not counting the repeated hadith he then goes on to again following the order of the fuqaha the order of the scholars of fiqh he then goes on to al-mu'amalat transactions or dealings Dealings is better than transactions Because you might hear transactions and think it's about business But transactions meaning All kinds of dealings You know dealings with people And generally the fuqaha They begin with kitab nikah The book of marriage That's generally the first one Generally all the books of fiqh are like this When they start al-mu'amalat They start with Kitab nikah And Imam Muslim followed this order as well Kitab nikah And then he brings Things related to it So he brings Ar-Ridha' uh, He brings uh, the book of breastfeeding Then divorce Then Al-Li'an When the, uh, the, the accusation Or the, the, invo- the invoking of curses when one, acu- when one married One uh, spouse accuses the other spouse of adultery So it's still on the topic of marriage He then brings Kitab al-Itq The book of freeing slaves And that makes sense to bring that there Because again free- The freeing of slaves has a relation to the uh, Expiation and things like that He then brings al-Buyur Transactions or buying and selling any business transactions and al-musaqa uh, which is related to that he then brings inheritance and gifts and wills and vows and oaths And then things related to retaliation and blood money and so on. Then he brings legal punishments and judicial decisions and lost property. So you can see here that there's a very, very, uh, and a very clear order. And the topics flow very nicely into one another. 
So if you look at legal punishments and then judicial decisions and then lost property, all of them are things that are dealt with by, and generally they're matters of, of dealt with by the qadi. He then goes into the book of jihad and expeditions and Kitab al-Imara the book of government or governance then hunting and slaughter and what may be eaten sacrifices yani al-adahi the sacrifices on the day of the Eid drinks clothing and then he starts with manners so up to here we've kind of followed the, root, the order of the scholars of fiqh generally we've generally followed the order of the scholars of fiqh at this point here which is around about 2100 hadith at this point al-imam muslim brings the remaining topics that you would not find in a book of fiqh so he now is going to bring you the remaining topics that you would not expect to find in a book of fiqh so he brings manners and etiquettes giving the greeting of salam using the correct words poetry dreams virtue of doing good deeds the merits of the companions the virtue of keeping ties of kinship the book of Qadr, the book of knowledge, the book of dhikr and dua and tawbah and istighfar, the book of heart melting traditions, any the one, al-raqa'iq, the heart softness, the book of, the, of, of tawbah, the description of the munafiqeen, the description of the day of judgment and paradise and hellfire, uh, the book of uh, paradise and its description and its people, the book of tribulations, the book of zuhd, of uh, any abstaining from the dunya, and the book of tafsir. And it's not like you, you don't need to memorize these because you can read them. In, you know, you can just grab a copy of Sahih Muslim and just read them. But I wanted you just to have an idea of the ordering of the book. So if you're looking for something relating to virtues and you know paradise and hellfire and you know the virtue of the companions You're going to find it at the end of Sahih Muslim If you're looking for tafsir You're going to find it at the end of Sahih Muslim If you are looking for heart softeners You're going to find them at towards the end of Sahih Muslim If you're looking for something on the topic of Iman Generally you're going to find it at the beginning Although there, there are some, still some topics on Iman at the end but, but a lot of it you're going to find at the beginning if you're looking for something related to fiqh, then is it from ibadat or is it from mu'amalat? If it's from the ibadat, like the, 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 the basic, you know, sort of pillars of Islam, then you're going to find that, that those uh, topics on the pillars of Islam, you're going to find them generally in, the, in that first half of the book. And then you're going to find after that mu'amalat like nikah and talaq and stuff like that, generally. And there are one or two exceptions. There are one or two exceptions. But 
this gives you a general overview of where you would expect to find a hadith within, uh, within Sahih Muslim. As we said, Al-Imam Muslim is very, very particular when it comes to his wordings. And he's very keen to summarize things for you. So what he will do is he will even summarize the isnad, the chain of narration. Because he has that chain from multiple people. Bear in mind, it's not like you only have a hadith from one, one set of people. He has that chain going from different ways. So he will also summarize that for you and we're going to give, give an example of this when we read it. But Al-Imam Muslim is also very careful to tell you which person of his teachers is the one that gave a particular wording. It's very, very precise. When he'll say, this is the wording of such and such a teacher. This is the wording, and I had three teachers who taught me this hadith, and the wording I'm going to give you is from this particular teacher. It's very, very accurate. And that is why generally it is preferred to quote from Sahih Muslim. And the standard in a, in a research paper is that if the hadith is in Sahih Muslim, you should quote the wording from, from Sahih Muslim. If it's not in Sahih Muslim, then it's a different matter. But if it's in Sahih Muslim, you should quote the wording from there, unless you have a reason to quote another wording, like you, you want to highlight a particular word, or you want to highlight the meaning of a particular sentence. But generally, the standard is, if it's in Sahih Muslim, you quote from Sahih Muslim. Because of how careful Al-Imam Muslim was to be very precise in who said what and where each wording came from and that he copied from his books. So it's very, very precise. He also distinguishes between Haddathana and Akhbarana. You know, two, two words which are quite similar with two words which are fairly similar even though the scholars I'm not going to get into the difference between them but uh, this, among the scholars of hadith but an imam muslim is very careful you know to be very very careful about the difference between even the words that his teachers used to connect the chain he's careful to uh, to mention them so he will say one of my teachers said haddathana and the other of my teachers said akhbarana and down to, the, down to the link between the chain Even the links between the chain He's careful to make sure that he brings you The exact wording that his teacher used We'll come now to the numbering And we say we're going to talk about the numbering of Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi Is one of the people who has Who did a great service to Sahih Muslim And he went through and numbered the ahadith. And that's not as simple as writing 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Otherwise anyone could have done it. 
Instead what he did Is he made two sets of numbering Which are known as the uh, The uh, specific set of numbering And a general set of numbering The specific set of numbering Is that he numbers He gives a number to each new hadith And he doesn't give the number when the hadith is repeated. So he gives a number to each new hadith, each unique hadith. And according to this, he reached 3,033. 3,033. However, remember that we said... That he also numbered the ahadith in the introduction which are not hadith So there is, a, there is a number to be taken off that Somewhere around 85 needs to come off that number Realistically But we usually go with the number of Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi Which is 3033 He then numbered them again Giving each separate narration a separate number so even when the hadith is repeated with a new chain of narration or a new like, like a, a different uh, sort of that Imam Muslim repeats it again and then again for a different wording, he gives it a different number, and in this it reaches seven thousand five hundred and sixty-three. Seven thousand five hundred and sixty-three. He also is the one whose numbering is considered to be the standard for Sahih al-Bukhari as well. And one of the things that he did is that when he had numbered Sahih Muslim and Sahih al-Bukhari, he gathered together the ahadith that are agreed upon by Bukhari and Muslim in Al-Lu'lu' wal-Marjan fi matafaq alayhi shaykhan a book called Al-Lu'lu' Wal-Marjan The Pearls and the Corals Mentioning those hadith that the two shaykhs Bukhari and Muslim agreed upon And that is also not an easy thing to do That's not an easy thing to do at all Because you have to be very detailed about What is the same hadith What's a different hadith When should we give it a new number When should we give it the same number and so generally his work is, is widely praised as being the standard numbering for Bukhari and Muslim. Now every printing company that comes along, not quite everyone, but, but a lot of them, have their own numbering. But often this numbering is not an ilmi numbering. It's not like knowledge based. It's just like hadith 1, 2, 3, 4. Like as if we would just go down and in each column every time we get a new line we write a hadith number. And that's why there isn't really a numbering system which is considered to be standard apart from Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi. The problem we have in English is that as we said generally the Kutub al-Sitta, the only real serious translation we have at the moment is Dar al-Salam. And Dar al-Salam did their own numbering. You know just one, two, three, four, five. So when you see a number of a hadith quoted 
you have to be careful to see whether that number is based on the English print or whether it's based on Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi or whether it's based on another Arabic numbering which is not Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi which is why personally I, I personally think that generally people should quote from Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi that is the standard when you're quoting a hadith don't quote it from Dar Salam's numbering don't quote it from you know I just found it in this print or that print try to quote from Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi his numbering of the hadith because otherwise it becomes extremely difficult for uh, people to find the hadith that you're looking for and you know why I'm telling you this is you may read a book and it says Sahih Muslim hadith number you know let's say 304 so you start looking for hadith number 304 and you don't find it you're like what a liar this author mentioned this hadith in Sahih Muslim it's not there but what may be the case is that his numbering and your numbering don't match so it is important that you that you check uh, the numbering that it matches and it should be possible once you find one hadith and once you found one hadith by a bit of research you might have had to have searched the words and find it and you find the numbering then you can figure out what the numbering is that the author uses if he hasn't mentioned it already if he hasn't said all of the numbers of Sahih Muslim are taken from Dar salam's print all of the numbers from Sahih Muslim are taken from the numbering of Muhammad Fuad Abdul Baqi all of the numberings of this are taken from here and some of the Arabic prints you'll see have multiple numberings which is kind of useful but it's also sometimes you get confused because they have like five different numbers for every hadith one of them is Muhammad Fa'ad Abdul Baqi's general one one is his specific one one is their own one one is from another classical print that they used so they you know they they uh, sort of have uh, sometimes they will have multiple numberings and you have to read the introduction to understand which number is which but that's quite uh, an important point I just wanted to give you a uh, a faida, a benefit uh, on the topic of the ordering or the 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 excellent choices that Al Imam Muslim made when he chose which hadith to put where. Okay. So when he chose which hadith to put where? Let me see.
had the exact right page open for you, but it uh, closed itself down. can read the hadith itself uh, some more but I want to just find the particular okay. Okay, so we want to know where this hadith, where did Al-Imam Muslim put this hadith? This is just an example, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, he gave this example for the excellent uh, ordering of Sahih Muslim, and the excellent choices of Al-Imam Muslim in ordering a hadith. Uh, this hadith, Imam Muslim said, "Qala haddathana Muhammad ibn Muthanna al-Anazi ha wa haddathana ibn Bashar wa lafdu ibn Muthanna. Qala haddathana Umayyad ibn Khalid. Qala haddathana Shu'bah an Abi Hamza al-Qassad an Ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma qal. So he mentions that it's not. He says that Muhammad ibn Muthanna al-Anazi narrated to us. Then he says ha. Now this is something I want you guys to be become familiar with. What is this ha? What is this like? It's just written randomly. Ha. Ha here, it refers to tahwil al isnad. That what he's doing is he's diverting. A tahwil is a diversion. He's diverting the chain. And he's going to bring it back together with a different chain. So he says that Muhammad ibn al-Muthanna narrated to us. Okay, that's his shaykh, Muhammad ibn al-Muthanna. Then he says, ha, diversion. Okay. Ibn Bashar narrated to us. And the wording is that of Ibn al-Muthanna. So certainly remember now he's telling us which one, which one, whose wording is which. So he kind of diverted us off and said the same hadith I also heard from Ibn Bashar. I heard from Ibn Bashar. I heard this hadith from Ibn Bashar and I heard this hadith from Ibn al-Muthanna. But this wording is from Ibn al-Muthanna. They both said, so now he's brought that you've gone past the diversion, you've come back again to the chain. That diversion could be three or four narrators until it comes back. It could be just one narrator. Here it's just one narrator. It's like a diversion in the road. Now you've joined back the main road. Ha. Any ha, tahweed. 
tahwil al-isnad and he's telling you we're going to take you on a little diversion now now we're going to join back again to the main road both of them said haddathana umayyah ibn khalid that umayyah ibn khalid said to us now again when you're reading these you see again comma haddathana comma haddathana comma haddathana you have to say qala before each one he said because haddathana means he narrated to me and something funny if you ever start reading sahih muslim to a sheikh and you start by saying haddathana he'll say man haddathak who told you this hadith you have to say qala haddathana he said haddathana why don't they say then why haven't they written in the arabic qala 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 because it does it saves time they just put a comma Instead of writing, he said, he said, he said, he said, he said. But you need to put he said in between. He said that Umayyah ibn al-Khalid ibn Khalid narrated to us. He said that Shu'ba narrated to us. Yani Shu'ba ibn al-Hajjaj narrated to us. From Abi Hamza al-Qassab. From Ibn Abbas. Notice he's choosing carefully which is an, which is haddathana akhbar. He's very careful about it. Who said, I was playing, kuntu, qala kuntu al-abu ma'asibiyan. I was playing with the children. Faja'a Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, Ibn Abbas said فَتَوَارَيْتُ خَلْفَ بَابٍ He said I hid behind the door He said يعني Ibn Abbas فَجَاءَ He came the Prophet ﷺ came and he patted me on the shoulders and he said to me اذهب وادعوا لي معاويه go and call muawiyah for me ibn abbas said you have to keep saying who said as well because you can't you can't link what the prophet said to what ibn abbas said. ibn abbas said قال فجئت فقلت هو ياكل he said i went and i came back to the prophet and i said muawiyah is eating قال ثم قال لي اذهب وادعوا لي معاويه he said then he said to me after a while go and call muawiya قال فجئت فقلت هو ياكل he said i came back and i say still eating so the prophet sallallahu said لا اشبع الله بطنه and he may allah never fill his stomach قال ابن المثنى قلت لأمية ما خطأ ما حطأني يعني ابن المثنى this is the sheikh of الإمام مسلم he said I said to أمية يعني أمية ابن خالد I said to him what does this word حطأ يعني حطأني mean what does this word mean because he didn't understand like they used to ask each other in the chain when they came across a word and they used to narrate with a chain of narration what the explanation of the word is he said it means uh, uh, 
qafadani qaftatan yani he patted me he patted me this hadith very famous hadith la ashba allahu batna may allah not fill his stomach the prophet sallallahu is making dua against muawiyah radiyallahu ta'ala anhu where did al imam muslim put this hadith sheikh abdul muhsin he mentioned this as a uh, as a virtue an imam muslim he puts this in the book of virtues he puts this in the book of virtues and he precedes it with another hadith which is very important he precedes it with a number of hadith and it's a long hadith so i won't read it completely but i'll just read a part of it And Imam Muslim says, Haddathani Zuhair ibn Harb. Zuhair ibn Harb narrated to me. Wa Abu Ma'nin al Raqqashi. And Abu Ma'n al Raqqashi. Wa Lafthuri Zuhair. And the wording is that of Zuhair. Look how Imam Muslim is telling you whose wording is which one. Qala, they both said, Haddathana Umar ibn Yunus. They said, Umar ibn Yunus narrated to us. Qala, Haddathana Ikrima. Ibn Ammar Ikrimah Ibn Ammar narrated to us Qala haddathana Ishaq Ibn Abi Talha That Ishaq Ibn Abi Talha Said to us Qala haddathani Anas Ibn Malik He said Anas Ibn Malik Narrated to me Qala kanat Inda Ummi Sulaymin Yatima وَهِيَ أُمُّ أَنَسِ يعني أُمْ سُلَيْمِ It says that Umm Sulaim used to have an orphan girl. She used to have an orphan girl that she looked after. And Umm Sulaim is the mother of the mother of Anas ibn Malik. فَرَأَى رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ الْيَتِيمَ فَقَالْ The messenger of Allah وسلم, saw the orphan girl and he said Antihi, he said, You are her, you're this girl, and you're the same little orphan girl that I used to see. Laqad kabalti la kabira He said, You have become older. May you not become old. And he said, May your, literally, may your years, may your years not advance. And he may you not get any older than this. فَرَجَعَتِ الْيَتِيمَةُ إِلَىٰ أُمِّ سُلَيْمٍ تَبْكِي So the orphan girl, she came crying to Umm Sulaim. She got really upset. فَقَالَتْ أُمْ سُلَيْمٍ مَا لَكِ يَا بُنِيَّ She said, what's the matter, oh my little, my little girl, what happened to you? Qalat al-Jariyah, the little girl, she said, Da'a alayya Nabiullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu has made dua against me. The Prophet sallallahu has made dua against me. 
that I don't get any older than I am now. And she like understood yani, that I'm not going to live a long life and he's made dua for me to die, right? You know, like, that I will not get any older than I am now. And she's crying and she said, So I'm not going to get any older than I am right now. And I'll never become older, I'll never get older and I will never progress on in my life because he's made dua against me. So Umm Sulaim went out hurrying up and she quickly put her scarf on until she came to the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And the Prophet ﷺ said, "Ma laki ya Umm Sulaim? What's the matter with you, Umm Sulaim?" فَقَالَتْ يَا نَبِيَّ اللَّهِ She said, "O Messenger of, O Prophet of Allah, أَدَعَوْتَ عَلَى يَتِيمَةِ Did you make du'a against my orphan girl? قَالَ وَمَا ذَاكَ يَا أُمُّ سُلَيْمِ He said, "What do you mean, O Umm Sulaim? What What are you referring to?" Then she said, the orphan girl, she thinks that you have made dua that she should never get older and she's never going to get any older than she is today. The Prophet laughed. And when he laughed, he wouldn't laugh out loud, but he would smile. He laughed. And he said, O Umm Sulaim, don't you know... That, my, that I have made a, an agreement with my Lord and I have said إِنَّمَا أَنَا بَشَرٌ I'm only a human being أَرْضَى كَمَا يَرْضَى الْبَشَرٌ وَأَغْضَبُ كَمَا يَغْضَبُ الْبَشَرٌ I get happy like every person gets happy and I get angry like every person gets angry okay فَأَيُّمَا أَحَدٍ دَعَوْتُ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ أُمَّتِي بِدَعْوَةٍ لَيْسَ لَهَا بِأَهَلٍ أَن تَجَعَلَهَا لَهَا طَهُورًا وَزَكَاةً وَقُرْبَةً يُقَرِّبُهُ بِهَا مِنْهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ So whoever from my ummah that I make a dua against and that dua is not deserving any, they don't deserve that dua. That I have, that Allah has made it that this will be a purification for them and a zakah, like a, a means of purifying themselves, and a qurba, a means of nearness to Allah, which will bring them near to Allah on the day of judgment. This is the hadith that an Imam Muslim brings immediately before the hadith of Muawiyah. The hadith of Ibn Abbas regarding Muawiyah, la ashba'allahu batna. May Allah not, never fill your stomach. Because an Imam Muslim wants to explain two things. First of all, that we should not understand from these ahadith that this is any kind of criticism of those companions. And just like it's not a criticism of the orphan girl, she did nothing except just get older, a little bit older than she was last time the Prophet ﷺ saw her. Just like it's not a criticism of the orphan girl, it's not a criticism of Muawiyah. 
Rather, it is a means of nearness and a virtue for the Prophet ﷺ to say something like that about someone. And it's a means of nearness and a means of a virtue. And that's why Al-Imam Muslim included it in the chapter of virtues. So you see here that Al-Imam Muslim first of all includes it in the chapter of virtues to show you that when the Prophet ﷺ makes dua against someone like that, he's a human being. He gets happy and he gets angry with people. And twice Muawiyah was eating. So naturally he said, may Allah not fill his stomach. There is a further narration in which Muawiyah says the blessings of that dua. He said since that day he never had a problem with eating. And he never felt that he had to eat and eat to fill himself. He was sufficed with a very small amount of food from the barakah of the dua of the Prophet ﷺ for him. And that's how Muawiyah understood it. That since the Prophet ﷺ made that dua, he never had a problem with eating. He was able to suffice himself with a small amount of, a small amount of food. But Al-Imam Muslim brings it in context with the other ahadith which relate to the topic. So that someone doesn't read the hadith and take it out of context and say, like the, the Rafidah and the, and, uh, and the other people who, the Ikhwan, the other people who curse uh, Muawiyah uh, and who followed that methodology of cursing Muawiyah, anhu so that they don't take this hadith and use it out of context. Rather, this hadith is in the context of the other hadith in which the Prophet ﷺ made dua against various companions when they were not, it was not a nasty dua. You know like the, the hadith when he would say like Taribat yadak, may your hand be covered in dust or saqaratka ummuk, may your, may your mother lose you or so on and so forth. That these were ordinary statements that the Prophet ﷺ made but that he made a condition and he made a promise with Allah that every time he makes dua against a person and that person is not deserving of that dua any meaning that like that person it's not like they've done something like really evil or something like that they haven't done anything wrong then that dua becomes a means of nearness to them to, to Allah nearness for them to Allah Yawm Qiyamah and all of these ahadith are all in all in the same place so if you keep going through them and you keep going up you find many many other ahadith in which uh, the Prophet ﷺ talks about uh, if I lose my temper that this dua is a expiation of the person's sins and a nearness to Allah on the, on the day of judgment So an Imam Muslim brings this in the same in the same place. And he brings it in association with that hadith of the young orphan girl because that hadith with the young orphan girl is even clearer that his dua against the young orphan girl is a dua which will bring her nearer, nearer to Allah and not a and not a curse that he invoked upon her.
The last thing that I want to talk about today, inshallah ta'ala, just as we sort of, you know, before we actually get into reading some example chapters, and what I'm going to do next week, inshallah ta'ala, is we're going to pick sort of a few chapters from different parts of the book and just go through them so that you learn a methodology of how to deal with the hadith. We just talk a little bit about that today. Uh, there are a couple of issues. One thing that I wanted to raise is, uh, and I think what we'll probably do is talk about it in more detail next lesson because it's a big topic. This issue of whether or not there are weak narrations in Sahih Muslim. This is a big topic and a topic about which the scholars differed immensely among each other. Uh, with some of them being extremely vocal that there are weak hadith in Sahih Muslim and some of them being extremely vocal that there are no weak hadith in Sahih Muslim the reality is that it depends what you mean by weak hadith If by weak hadith you mean that you open Sahih Muslim and you see a hadith, you, you set your eyes on a hadith and you read it and that hadith is not authentic from the Prophet ﷺ, then this is not present in Sahih Muslim. This doesn't happen. However, in some of the supporting narrations, and sometimes Imam Muslim mentions, we talked about this hadith about the whoever I... Uh, whoever I curse then, or whoever I make dua against make my dua a nearness and a purification and so on on the day of judgment Al-Imam Muslim mentions maybe 10 hadith on this topic in some of the supporting narrations there may be some weakness in a narrator or chain or in a particular choice of words but the hadith itself, the core of the hadith itself is authentic. And the scholars have agreement that everything in Bukhari and Muslim is authentic in a general sense. Meaning that hadith themselves are authentic. However, there may be a criticism over certain supporting narrations. Yani some of the narrations that are mentioned after the main one. He mentions the main one, the, big, the, the, the core narration. And then he mentions a number of supporting narrations. There may be some question over a certain narrator here, a certain narrator there. Should this narrator have been here? Was this narrator really strong? Is this wording exactly as it should be? Is this word or is this word better? But the actual core of the hadith is authentic. I think that this is the easiest way to explain it. There are more details than that. Because there is a lot of things, to, issues you can go into after that. But as a general rule, that's a good general idea. As a decent summary of the issue Even though there are More details you could go into after that To be honest You can talk about specific examples Did Al-Imam Muslim bring a hadith To explain that they were weak uh, Did he uh, sometimes you know, include a hadith For the purpose of showing you That the hadith is not authentic And there are lots of other issues in there But in general we understand That the general hadith in Sahih Muslim That you open up and read are authentic but in some of the supporting narrations that Imam Muslim mentions, there may be some criticism here and there. And the vast majority of that criticism is unfounded. 
and the vast majority of it is not uh, is is not uh, reliable. It's not fair. The vast majority, and that is because Al Bukhari and Muslim could sometimes take narrations from a weak narrator, knowing that that narration itself was authentic. And sometimes we come across this, we say, how could Al-Bukhari narrate from this guy when he's known to have this weakness? Al-Bukhari knew which one of his narrations were authentic and which one of his narrations were inauthentic. And he knew which ones were reliable and which ones were not uh, reliable. And he chose those which were reliable. Or he, you have a narrator who has different teachers. <coughs> from some of his teachers he is reliable, from some of his teachers he is unreliable or he has students some of his students are reliable in narrating from him and some of his students are unreliable al-bukhari and muslim knew which ones to take and which ones to which ones to take and which ones to leave so even the criticism that is in some of those supporting narrations is very very small indeed it's very very small indeed The last thing that I want to cover in the last 10 minutes before we do the actual uh, practical examples next week is what is our methodology for studying any hadith any hadith in any book how do we go about studying a particular uh, hadith what are, the, what are the basic points that we should make sure that we cover The first thing that we generally cover are issues relating to the chain of narration. Okay? The first thing we cover are issues relating to the chain of narration. That could be issues of authenticity, finding out who the narrators were, if there are any confusing names, clarifying who the narrator was. Now this is easy for the Qutb al because the Qutb al-Sitta are so well researched that you don't have to like have a lot of great deal of worry about the you know about doing too much work yourself. It's not like you're going to come across a hadith that nobody ever spoke about before. And especially Bukhari and Muslim because you know generally the hadith is authentic. But what's a good resource? I want to introduce you to a book called a book by Al-Hafid ibn Hajar. It's only available in Arabic, but you don't really need it in English. In fact, there's no, there would be no massive benefit in having it in English. You don't, you don't need, it doesn't matter if you don't know Arabic, you can still benefit from the book. And the book is called Taqreeb al-Tahdeeb. Taqreeb, yani with a ta and a qaf and a ra and a ya and a ba. Taqreeb. Ta and a qaf and a ra and a ya and a ba. التهذيب with a ta and a ha a small ha and a ذال and a ya and a ba تقريب التهذيب this book is actually the fourth in line of four books it started off by a book of uh, it started off With a book, uh, Al Kamal fi Asma al Rijal. 
started off with a book Al-Kamal Fi Asma Al-Rijal In this book Al-Kamal Fi Asma Al-Rijal by Al-Hafid Al-Maqtisi was summarized and it contains a list of the name of all of the narrators of the six books of hadith so it contains all of the narrators of the six books of hadith and it was summarized uh, by al-mizzi al-hafid al-mizzi in tahdeeb al-kamal so it's getting, these names are going to get confusing we had a book called Al-Kamal by Al-Maqtisi a book called Al-Kamal by Al-Maqtisi this book was summarized in Tahdeeb Al-Kamal Tahdeeb we said Tahdeeb Al-Kamal by Al-Mizzi Al-Hafad Al-Mizzi it was then summarized again and also added to because these tahdeeb is not exactly a summary. You summarize and often the author will add his own benefits into it. He'll like take a bit of the book but then add to it. It was summarized again and added to by Al-Hafidh ibn Hajar in a book called Tahdeeb al-Tahdeeb. The same word twice. Tahdeeb al-Tahdeeb. And then Al-Hafid ibn Hajar summarized his own book, Tahdeeb al-Tahdeeb, into a book called Taqreeb al-Tahdeeb. So we start again. We had Al-Kamal by Al-Maqdisi. Al-Kamal fi Asma al-Rijal. And it deals with the narrators of the six books, Bukhari and Muslim and At-Tirmidhi, Abu Dawood and Nasai and Ibn Majah. That was summarized by Al-Mizzi in Tahdeeb al-Kamal. Each narrator has about him a little biography, his teachers, his, his shiuch, his students, where, where he can be, which books he can be found in. He has a, like a biography and a little bit of information about each narrator. This was summarized and added to, and Al-Hafid ibn Hajar summarized and he added to it in Tahdeeb al-Tahdeeb. And finally we come to the book that I wanted to talk to you guys about which is an, the most summarized of all of them called Taqreeb al-Tahdeeb and basically this is a one line generally it's a one line per narrator Al-Hafid ibn Hajar in al-Taqreeb the last one he brings one line for every narrator so you look up the narrator in fairly alphabetical order you look up the narrator in alphabetical order and you get for that narrator a summary of his authenticity and the books that he has been uh, found in from the Kutub al-Sitta. So for example, if you were to come across Al-Imam Muslim say and Kahmas from Kahmas and you want to know who is Kahmas who is this narrator? Kahmas. So you go to Kaf and you go down to Kahmas and you find Kahmas 
Ibn al-Hasan al-Tamimi. This is what uh, this is Taqrib al-Tahdi. He says five six seventy, and he narrated number five thousand six hundred and seventy. Kahmas ibn al-Hasan al-Tamimi. Abu al-Hasan al-Basri. So he gives you his kunya in case because sometimes he might be mentioned by kunya, sometimes he might be mentioned by name. Thiqa. He is reliable. Min al-Khamisa. He tells you what tabaqa he's from, as in what. Uh, not quite what age, but who do you expect him to be narrating from? Do you expect him to be narrating from a Sahabi? Or do you expect him to be narrating from, yani he's Imam Muslim's teacher? Or like how, where do you, where are you going to put him roughly in the, in the chain? So Al-Hafid breaks them down to tabaqat, like le- level 1, level 2, level 3, level 4, level 5. Like where do you expect to find him in the chain? So he's Min Al-Khamisa. مات سنة تسع وأربعين. He died in the year forty-nine after the Hijrah, and then he writes next to it عين عين. The symbol at the end is down to which books he's narrated in. So عين, the letter عين, it stands for الجماعة, meaning all of the six books of Hadith. And خا for Bukhari, this is useful to write down. عين for the six books of hadith Ain for the six books of hadith Kha for Bukhari So Ain for the six books of hadith Kha for Al-Bukhari Meme for Muslim Dal for Abu Dawood Seen for An-Nasai Ta for At-Tirmidhi And Qaf for Ibn Majah Why Qaf for Ibn Majah? Anyone know why Qaf for Ibn Majah? What has the letter Qaf got to do with Ibn Majah? He's Al-Qazwini with a Qaf. He is from the tribe of Qazwin. He is Ibn Majah Al-Qazwini. And if you use Meme, then you might confuse it with uh, Al-Imam Muslim. So they use Qaf. Now sometimes you'll see that letter attached to something else Like you'll see Ba-Kha Written together like as two Ba-Kha <coughs> And this refers to Other books of the same authors So Al-Bukhari for example in Al-Adab Al-Mufrad Al-Bukhari has other books From the books that Al-Bukhari has Is at tarikh Al-Kabir uh, and from the books that Al-Bukhari has is Al-Adab Al-Mufrad And it also tells you if it is mentioned by Al-Bukhari in one of those books So Ba'kha Al-Bukhari in Al-Adab Al-Mufrad Not in his Sahih So the book gives you a good idea of who they are Why is this useful? Because when I looked up Kahmas From the chain of narration And I wanted to know who is Kahmas I found there are two people called Kahmas There is Kahmas ibn Al-Hasan Al-Tamimi and there is Kahmas ibn Minhal al-Sadusi. 
How do I know which one is which? When I go to Kahmas ibn Minhal, at the end of it, it just says Kha. What does that tell me? It just says Kha. It's only he was only narrated by or used by Al Bukhari, and it says Min So he's later than the other one. The other one is narrated by all of them. So with this, we can just start to look up narrators. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to suddenly know all about the science of hadith, but it is sometimes useful to know who were the narrators in the chain. Just a little bit about them. And taqrib al-tahdib is a good reference for just, you know, a beginner, just to have a look a little bit about each narrator. Just to give you like a one line. It's only literally one line per narrator. Very rare that it goes to more than one line. And it'll just give you his name. Roughly where in the chain should he be? Like roughly what? You know, whereabouts is he tabi'i? Is he from the generation after, the generation after? How many books will you find him in from the Qutb al-Sitta? Bearing in mind, it doesn't tell you Imam Ahmed, it doesn't tell you, just tells you the Qutb al-Sitta. And when did he die? Gives you a nice, nice uh, summary for just giving you an idea of the narrators. So the first thing we deal with are issues of the chain. So we're going to look up the narrator's names in Taqrib al-Tahdeeb just to give you a general idea of who were those narrators. Were they reliable? Were they you know, fair? Were they weak narrators? If they were weak narrators, why did Imam Muslim or Al-Bukhari narrate from them? So we're going we're gonna to kind of look up that. Any issues of authenticity in the hadith? You know, are there, and, and in Sahih Muslim, there are no issues of authenticity. Okay, after we've done the chain of narration, then what do we study? Then we study the wording of the hadith. We read the hadith and we look for gharib al-hadith. Gharib al-hadith. Yani, are there any words in this hadith that we don't understand? Are there any words in this hadith we don't understand? Maybe there are some words in there that are strange words. And you shouldn't be surprised because there are some words in there that an Imam Muslim explains the meaning of the word from his teacher because they themselves did not understand or the word was not common. Like in the hadith of uh, Ibn Abbas, we said with regard to uh, Muawiyah, the patting of the shoulders. They didn't understand the word that was used, so they explained the word. It may be that Imam Muslim explains the word. It may be that we have to go to one of the explanations of Sahih Muslim. The most famous is the explanation of Imam al-Nawawi, al-Minhaj. Or it may be that we have to go to a specialized book of Gharib al-Hadith or Gharib al-Athar. The words that are strange within the Hadith, the words we don't know. And we go to a glossary of, of, of uh, difficult to understand words. So you have a, a book called uh, An-Nihaya by Ibn al-Athir. And this is a book which is one of the best books for Gharib al-Athar. It gives you the words which are like difficult to understand. Words which you might not have understood within the hadith. So now we've understood the words of the hadith, we've understood the chain of the hadith. So up to now we know the authenticity, we know the narrators, and we understood what all the words mean. Then we come and we summarize the rulings or the benefits that we take from the hadith. And what do we... We've got two things. We need to deal with rulings and we need to deal with benefits. 
Benefits can be general things. Could be related to a ruling or unrelated to a ruling. We benefited. And we're like we say, Mimma yustafad min al-hadith. What is benefited from the hadith? We benefited from this, from this, from this, from this, from this. And also if there are any rulings in the hadith, any issues of halal and haram, we take those out and we study them. And we ask ourselves, what did the scholars say about them? Because we can't just read it and just, you know, make up our own rulings. We can't just read it and make up our own rulings. Just like, oh, okay, I read in Sahih Muslim that there is a hadith that you have to make wudu from whatever the fire touches. Okay, now I'm going to start making wudu every time I eat meat. You have to look at what the scholars said. The scholars said this hadith is abrogated by another hadith. So you understood that you can't just, uh, you have to look for the rulings at what the scholars say. But we first of all have to take the ruling out of the hadith. This hadith deals with whether or not you have to make wudu in this condition or that condition. And generally we deal with the ruling first and then finally we deal with the benefits of the hadith. And at the end we deal with the things we benefit from the hadith. And they could be direct benefits or indirect benefits. Direct benefits as in the Prophet ﷺ said, it is the one whose wa- the water of the sea is purifying and its dead are halal. Direct benefit. You can eat anything that dies in the sea. Direct benefit from the hadith. Or you can get an indirect benefit, like the way the Prophet ﷺ said something. So an indirect benefit from this hadith would be the benefit of the mufti giving an answer which is more comprehensive than the question. Because in this hadith, the Prophet ﷺ was asked, Can we make wudu from seawater? And he answered, Not only about wudu, but about food as well. So you can benefit an indirect benefit that the mufti can give an answer which is more comprehensive than the question that he was asked. If he thinks the questioner, the mustafti, if he thinks the questioner, is in need of that answer as well as the answer that he asked for. So this is generally how we're going to approach each hadith and we're going to take a selection of a hadith from, uh, from Sahih Muslim in different areas, in Iman, in the Ibadat, in the Mu'amalat, in the you know, Fada'il and the Tafsir. Just take that maybe, I don't know how many we'll get through, we might get through 10 hadith or something like that. And just understand, okay, how do I look up the names? How do I, you know, search for this person? What do we find out about each of the narrators? How do we work with the chain of narration? Okay, we finished that. Now what do we do about this hadith? What does it mean? What are the wordings? What's the fiqh benefits from the hadith? What are the general benefits from the hadith directly and indirectly? And that we come with a conclusion that we have now studied that particular hadith. And we get used to looking up the hadith in Sahih Muslim and where to find it. So I'm going to kind of probably tell you the general topic of the hadith and ask you, where do you think you're going to find this hadith? Where are some options where you might find this hadith in Sahih Muslim? So for example, we might talk about the hadith of Jabir in Hajj. Where are you going to find this hadith in Sahih Muslim? You're going to find it in Kitab al-Hajj. Where is Kitab al-Hajj? The last book in the book of, that deals with ibadat before the, before the book of Nikah. Okay, we know where to find it. Now we're going to, you know, and so on and so forth. So we get used to using the book. Because the aim here is not to read the whole of Sahih Muslim, but the aim here is for you to be able to benefit from the book and use it. And that means sometimes you will need to, to, to look at the Arabic rather than just the English. 
But as I said, when it comes to narrators and things like that, it's not too difficult. So inshallah ta'ala, we will stop there. But I think we had one, uh, one small request from you guys, inshallah, before we finish up. Uh, and that is to fill in a very brief survey regarding the timing of the class. So I'll just make sure the link is working. If you guys could go to kalima.org kalima.org forward slash time you can do it now you can do it later but it's better if you can if you have your form with you you can do it now it's better so you don't forget because this is for your benefit kalima.org forward slash time basically uh, we had some discussion about the timing of the essentials class now, uh, if you, when you have a look at the survey, it just asks you for your student ID, your mobile number, whether you're male or female, and then it gives you three options for timings. Those timings are according to Fajr at the moment, but in brackets, it's written what we will stick to. So for example, the first one is 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., which is an hour and 10 minutes after the Fajr Adhan. When Fajr moves, we will move the time of the course from time to time not every not every day like every week but every say two or three months we'll move it but we'll keep it generally an hour and ten minutes after Fajr generally or 6.30 to 8.30 which is an hour and 40 minutes after Fajr or 7 till 9 which is two hours and ten minutes after Fajr and generally we'll you know we'll more or less track the, the Fajr time you know from time to time so basically just you answer which of those is the best one for you, because some people were saying they couldn't reach on time, the class is too early, uh, six o'clock is too early, so uh, you know everyone give their their feedback inshallah, and we'll do what what is better for the majority of the students inshallah. So that's all we have for today, Taala, and uh, next week we will start reading through our ahadith and applying all of the knowledge we've gained in the last three weeks to actually you know sort of physically go through. Uh, Sahih Muslim If you wish you can bring a copy of Sahih Muslim If you don't have a copy You can if you wish uh, Use either a PDF copy online Or you can uh, Get a copy from Dar es Salaam Or you can use sunnah.com if you wish Even though sunnah.com is a little bit cheating Since you have like It all broken down into hyperlinks And things like that But still even if you have nothing else It will benefit you To be able to go through the book And let me see if I can find this hadith where am I going to find it? How am I going to find it? We're going to do some practical examples. So I want everyone to either bring Sahih Muslim uh, or uh, to bring at least a phone with so that they can search it online, inshallah. Because we want you to try.